This is pretty much X-Men. That's one of the things I was going to say. X-Men with sex. The sex-men. In my eyes, indisposed, in disguise, no one knows. Hide the face, lies the snake. In the sun, in my screams, boiling heat, a summer stench. Meet the black, the sky looks dead. Call my name through the cream, and I will hear you scream again. With the holiday seasons coming upon us, let's put aside the psychological horror, the body horror, and let's turn to something... Black Hole by Charles Burns. Oh, good lord. (laughs) That's right, because you're listening to Quarantine Comics, and it is dark all the time. This week... We're going to read the seminal graphic novel by Charles Burns, published between 1995 and 2005. Black Hole is about a group of teenagers in the 1970s afflicted with a mysterious STD that makes them undergo strange bodily transformations, some more noticeable than others. But Black Hole isn't all weirdness and sex. It's about love and love lost, about sadness and striving. When I read it for the first time, it gave me a sense of eerie unease and maybe that's a feeling you like and maybe that's something you could just do without so you just pretty much described our teenage years i'm ryan joe and i'm robin segel and those growths aren't pimples are they robin i am so glad we are doing this remotely still (laughs) so robin you read this about five or six years ago, on my recommendation, if I recall. What did you think then, and what do you think today? You know, this podcast wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Black Hole, Ryan. Holy shit! Yeah, man. Like, I think we met, we discovered we like comics, and we started meeting up in the city. And you recommended this book to me, and, you know, I was always looking for new independent things to read. And I read it, and I was like, wow, this Ryan guy's got some fucked up tastes. I like him. Uh, and literally, and then fast forward a bit. week after week after week, and you're just like, I am through with it. Just give me some superheroes. No, I, I, I again through your urging. I and this is part of a trilogy of books. Is that correct, right? Because I think I read oh, all no, of no, them. No, no, that's because of you. that's X out. That was which came well, in. You published about ten years later. Oh, okay. This no, was this, I, was, this uh, was originally serialized in twelve issues. Okay. I I enjoyed it more than I recall enjoying it, you know, because I was already kind of already knew I was already expecting the weirdness. I already knew the gimmick. And, you know, it's basically what if the X-Men got their powers through STDs? That's kind of what this is. And and their powers are kind of useless. It's just these gross mutations. But um, again, uh, either <laughs> wait, I'm not. Hold on, hold on. What if the X-Men got their powers through STDs and their powers are totally useless? That is fantastic. That that's pretty much the episode title. No, but either because I read it long ago and the shock value of it is kind of I'm over it and you know I'm numb to all the weird shit you make me read. But <laughs> I I read this for the darkness that it was, right? The the dark human trauma, like you said, it's about it's about love lost, it's about striving, it's about teen awkwardness. So if you can get past all the gimmicks and the weirdness, it's it's classic science fiction of 
we're not really talking about the real shit because there's robots and aliens and diseases, but this is about teenagers being fucked up and longing and wanting and not fitting in. Um, and so it was a dark book that hit close to home. I didn't experience these things as a teenager, but I could relate to the emotions and the frustrations that were being felt by the characters. So I, I, enjoy, I actually, I think I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot the first time because it was so new, all new, all different. And it was, again, the beginning of our friendship of like recommending interesting things to each other and then arguing about them over Bon Me. This second time around, because I already knew what to expect, it was a reread. It was a retread. I was noticing things that I hadn't noticed before. And for that, I'm, I'm really glad. I'm really glad we decided at the last minute to bring this back. Tell me about your like, how did you discover this? What were your initial impressions when you read it first years ago? I'm trying to remember. I, you know, I, I, there, I actually reading it again. There are so many aspects of the plot that I forgot. What I remember the most was the vibe and the way it made me feel. I remember the general premise because it's so striking, right? Teenagers pass around an STD that creates physical mutations and that turns many of them into outcasts. That that I remembered, but I kind of forgot like the the emotions that were sort of driving a lot of the decisions that were happening within this book mm -hmm. and then kind of reading it now that's what really stuck out to me less kind of the body horror the body horror was just was a part of it it kind of under in a way it kind of underscored sort of like the that those that feeling of alienation that so many teenagers feel that, that so many people feel frankly so so that's what what really kind of stuck at with me the second time i i, I read it and also like how lonely so many of the people are and how there's like no real escape from their loneliness. Even when they get together, you have this group of outcasts who are afflicted with this STD. They're camping in the wilderness because that's really the only home they have. They're, they've been ostracized. And even though they are all together and they are suffering from the same affliction, they're still incredibly lonely and alienated from each other. And that is really underscored at the end when there's that sort of mass murder. These are people who don't really want to be together, but are together due to their really shitty circumstances. And that, that, that was just incredibly sad. And there, that's, that's what struck me. I think there's an incredible, you know, for all of the body horror, for all the psychological, psychological horror, there is an incredible sadness pervading almost everything that Charles Burns does of a, a sense yeah. of like lost oppor missed opportunity. And, and you know, we, to lavish some praise on the art, but the art plays such a role in setting that mood and setting that stage because it, it's obviously black and white, but it's very kind of grid patterned. It's a very matter of fact kind of narrative. The art is kind of very consistent with these kind of deep lines with, with with very little exception, these almost uh, Lichtenstein kind of pop art kind of yeah. sketches of humans, but it, and it's it's lovely to behold as you go on, and it's you know sex plays a big role in it, but it's not a kind of Jim Lee Rob Liefeld teenage titillation, right? It's a no. matter of fact presentation of kind of the awkwardness. That is. Yeah, it's actually interesting that you bring up Lichtenstein because, you know, his art is associated with sort of the golden, maybe silver age comic art where it's, you know, kind of almost almost desexualized. It's very, very clean. The line work is very, very precise. And that's definitely true for 
for Charles Burns. He's a very precise artist. But I think there's also what he does. He swaddles everything in deep shadow. Like this, these Absolutely. are a bunch of middle class teens in suburbia. That's not exactly an environment that reeks of mystery and strangeness. And yet, in Charles Burns' art, but what, you know, but what, what I'd say is it reeks of awkwardness like because all these kids are just kind of staring at you it's just plain and matter of fact it's kind of you're staring and you can't look away because of the style of the art but you have this also these these incredibly deep shadows like everything Mm -hmm. is just like in in shadow and you know what you mentioned before that that sort of awkwardness coupled with this the strangeness of the environment it's a very familiar environment but because it's so steeped in shadow you kind of see it in a very different way it creates this almost dreamlike occasionally nightmarish effect that i think few other artists are able to to capture and i think like charles burns more than anybody else his art and his writing kind of work in such brilliant harmony that it creates an effect the likes of which i i really haven't felt in any other comics and Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. i yeah and this is this is you know before reading black hole and after reading black hole charles burns just creates a unique impact on you as a reader it's a very unique reading experience yeah and there's a singular vision and focus we see that a lot when it's the same writer artist because they have complete control but it's the looks and the stares, the characters aren't quite looking at you, but then the few moments yeah. that they do break that third wall and they you do find them looking at you, it's disturbing. But actually, you know, the other than kind of the psychological horror of the book, the only graphic thing that really disturbed me, Ryan, and again, never mind the STD mutations, the only thing that described that really, really scared me, like I had to turn the page away, is the fucking puppets, man. Like in the campsite. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's the only thing that really continued to scare me as I look at it. What? what you know, what, you know what, what, what? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. There are these like strange mutilated dolls hung up around these campsites. What was it about those dolls in particular that? Well, if you think about it, it's the person who had to put those there. That's the psychological horror. Who would do such a thing? Because all of the the mutations and stuff, they are just saying. (laughs) That's why this is a remote. This is why this is a remote podcast still, right? But it's the mutations are biological abnormalities. You know, it's not aliens. It's just mm-hmm. it's their mutations, and it sucks. It's just like a bad pimple for the most part. But a really bad the, pimple, Robin. An extremely <laughs> bad pimple that you can't get rid of, no matter how much eczema. Noxema. <laughs> I almost said Neutrogena. I'm like, that's not right. Noxema you use. Yeah, but those puppets, they're they're out of the mind of a demented character. That means harm upon all of these people that you are falling for and sympathizing and empathizing for, and it makes you worry for their safety. Like, they're dealing with the mutations. They've made their choices around the mutations. But the other thing is someone there to cause them harm. There's actually this sort of – that's actually interesting because it kind of builds to that, right? There's this sort of sense of dread of people not being quite right in the head throughout this – this comic or or maybe they're they're they've bottled up their emotions and they're about to explode there's always a sense of something on their periphery that is a threat and then once the dolls come into play that threat becomes a lot more salient because obviously we're seeing we're seeing i guess the artifacts that represent whoever this individual is and of course 
at the end that it, there there is very clearly and it's there's just so much of and again not to kind of play out the the, the sexual metaphors but like this book is so much about innocence lost and it's not just because the kids are having sex and the kids are doing drugs but their perception of the world their their forced abandonment of the comforts of society, the comforts of their parents, like it, it makes you hurt inside. Do you worry mm. for these kids and kind of what they're going through? Yeah, because they really are alone, right? The parents are pretty much an, they they show up occasionally, but the parents are pretty much a non-entity throughout this. I mean, the fact that they, the kids are just able to vanish into the woods or into the desert, um, it, it's 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 a strange society that that Charles Burns depicts. It's one in which the parents are. I wouldn't say they're indifferent because they definitely the times you see them is definitely care about their kids, but they're so detached that you know the the kids are almost sort of like in a world that is completely alien from whatever world the parents inhabit. Well, I mean, isn't that? And I don't have teenagers yet, but this book again, the thing that scares me about this book is. Oh right, this is what teenagers do. Shit, right? I'm gonna have yeah. teenagers in about a decade. So, exactly right. You're you're soon gonna have two people in your household, Raman, who are in a world that you cannot access, and that's kind of scary. Yeah. yeah, it is, and it's a scary world. Like it's the things that the. I mean, again, yes, the, the STD mutations, but um, just the interactions, the parties, the drinking, the the drugs. I mean, it's the 70s, man. <laughs> the drugs are, are free-flowing in this book. And it it makes, again, my parental instincts, my parental spidey sense is like, okay, well, I can't control them. I can't control the world they're going to live in. So I just need to make sure they have kind of their values set and they know how to approach the world, right? Mm -hmm. um, and again, these kids don't make the best decisions. No, <laughs> so no. I do question the parenting to a degree. Not where were the parents, but what did the parents do or not do in in the decade prior? Yeah, so I, you know, Black Hole, I kind of remember it as a dream. And, you know, in rereading it, it, it does feel, still feel very, very dreamlike. But also, you know, kind of like I'm much more cognizant of the plot and what works and what doesn't work. And can we talk a little bit about where I kind of where where it kind of lost me? And I'm kind of curious. I, I'm I'm surprised you didn't jump right into that after the first opening script. <laughs> well, you know, I I, I yeah, the the thing about Burns is he does have a power over his mm -hmm. over yeah. readers, and I think you, you just really need to kind of embrace that. That is honestly the first thing that you know you, you kind of feel it when you when you kind of flip open the first page. I just had my neighbors over for for dinner, and they're they're an elderly couple, and I kind of showed them the book, and they opened it up, and they're like, uh, oh, sh oh, wow. So <laughs> Burns has that impact on people, and then again, even even having read it before, I remember the feeling that black hole of of, of that black hole kind of presents to to audiences to 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 readers, and I kind of didn't remember much of the plot. Well, there's a, psychological, there's a psychological aftertaste, because I finished reading it two nights ago, and you're just kind of left with, ooh. It what, sticks with you. What, it sticks with you. Yeah, it, yeah. and, it's, it's, it, really and it does. doesn't leave. It really doesn't leave. I do kind of think he, so 
the 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 story follows two characters for fun of Keith and Chris. And Chris is Keith has a big crush on Chris, who's sort of like the hot, quiet girl in the high school. But Chris everybody has a, a crush on Chris. Everyone has a crush. Everyone has a crush on Chris. Unfortunately for Chris, and um, you know, but she kind of has a she has a thing for Rob, and they kind of hook up. But Rob has that disease, which gives him a mutation. Chris eventually gets the disease, and then Chris and Rob get closer, and then Keith is kind of doing his own thing. And there's a moment very late in the, really when things start to escalate, where Rob is murdered. Suddenly and very, very surprising, it's a really, really effective scene. And that's kind of a holy shit moment in the book, because I didn't see it coming. And it changes the dynamic of everything. And but it changes the dynamic in such a way that I don't that basically that I don't think really works. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I don't think it fulfilled, you know, because now you're sort of like, why was Rob killed? How does Chris react? And how it ultimately plays out is that there are basically there are just so many problems with it in that Chris sort of becomes this sort of like hapless person. I'm kind of thinking. If you were Chris in this position, is this how most people would react? Does does her reaction make sense? And to me, it it really doesn't. And then the whole thing about Rob being murdered, why was he murdered, who was a murderer, all of that stuff, it's presented as kind of a mystery that's never really resolved. In fact, and it's that kind of at that point where the book kind of goes off into the, all of these different plot tangents. And... I feel it's like a rope that kind of frays at the end. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah, it, you know, it was hard. Some of the characters look so similar, and so there's the other character who kind of swoops in to kind of fill the void of Rob from a character Dave? and a plot perspective. Yeah, and it. I actually, even upon the second reading, because again, it was hard, the plot was fuzzy from having read it five or six years ago. I actually had a little bit of confusion when Dave first appears and hangs out with Tail Girl. Yeah, I actually thought that was flashbacks with Rob. And oh, so that's it Keith. Me... Yeah, Keith. Keith and Rob look kind of similar. Yeah, and so I, it's the bottom line is it's just like they were planting the seeds of this other character, but because again, everything we just kind of raved about Burns' style. A lot of the characters, unless there's a gimmick like glasses or a weird deformity, they kind of all run together yeah. and they all kind of look together, look similar, like generic, um, what's the director of the Breakfast Club, but like generic Breakfast Club characters. John, uh, John Hughes. I almost John. said John Houston, which is wrong, but yes, John Hughes. Yeah, and so... I it, and actually once I realized I I almost wanted to start rereading the book but I was just like no I can't do this again because I read the the tail girl things as if that was kind of a flashback to Rob that's mm. how Rob got the disease by by messing around with tail girl before he met Chris I really thought that's what was going on with it and that obviously wasn't the case yeah, there is sort of a lack of clarity with the timeline, especially towards the later episodes, issues. That's, you know, in the, in the beginning, it's actually very, very clear what's happening and when. For me, the issue is that, so Keith and Chris are sort of like the, the main characters, and Keith has sort of like a crush on Chris, which starts to become a really unhealthy fixation. Keith and Chris are mostly apart for most of the book, and then they kind of intersect, and then they're apart, and then they intersect again. Their stories, though, really you know, you kind of expect that their stories will sort of dovetail together. And for a very brief moment, they do. But 
then they kind of split apart. And then Chris kind of goes off with – or uh, sorry, Keith goes off with the girl with the tail and then kind of has his own thing. And then Chris kind of has her own adventures after Rob is murdered. Another deformed teenager named Dave hits on her, and he's just a psychopath. And Dave – so my issue is that Dave kind of comes out of nowhere. And I, I actually – And Dave's the, Dave's the wolfman guy, right? Dave's the Wolfman guy. He's the guy who's just basically this very kind of like stoic murderer who has a really unhealthy fixation on Chris. And it actually echoes Keith's really unhealthy fixation on Chris. Though Keith just basically kind of gets over it. He kind of forgets about it. And then Dave just becomes homicidal. And I, I, I actually was wondering if in earlier versions, if the Dave and the Keith character were supposed to be the same or Keith's fixation yeah. would eventually become murderous and that would explain a lot because you know dave really comes out of nowhere suddenly he's he's a, he's a nobody and suddenly he's a threat he's the big threat in chris's story and i and i and i i, I that was less effective for me because dave is just sort of like a i mean he's creepy but he's and he's memorable but he's also sort of like a garden path psychopath i guess versus we've been with keith for a while and if and, you know, we've seen what he, how he feels, how he thinks. We've empathized with him, and if he were to go psychopathic, that would be a lot more impactful, I think, to see a character that we initially liked go completely off the rails. And I, I, I don't know if that was Charles Burns' original intent, and he eventually decided, no, 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 I'll make them two separate characters. But I almost kind of reading it, I almost kind of felt I think these two were supposed to be the same guy. He just decided to at the end split them apart because I think he had maybe an affection for Keith and he didn't want Keith to go down that path. So he had to create another antagonist to take Keith's place. place. If you, if you had to pick one character, I I think I know the answer, but whose story would you say this is? Chris, Chris's story. But what's interesting though, it's, and again, part of it is because I couldn't tell the white guys apart, like the women, the two main women, (laughs) racist bastard. That's a problem I, I'm afflicted with. No, but in the style of these drawings where there's this kind of hypersimplism, but the women, the tail girl and Chris, are very distinct. You know, and their settings are distinct. Obviously, uh, their look is distinct. Their mannerisms are distinct. And I can't say the same for the boys in this book because I literally... I didn't realize the beginning of the book at the biology class that was Keith. I thought that was Rob and it was just kind of Rob's story because the book starts out. You think it's the boy's story and it turns out it is the girl's story. And you don't realize that till halfway through. I don't know if Charles Burns. See, here's the thing. I, I, I definitely feel this is more of Chris's story. And I think that's because Chris is. Oh, I agree. Really, I agree. I agree. Really, you know, she's, she she goes through this and, you know, you kind of see her actually, you kind of see the, the love she feels for Rob. You see it kind of, start up there's that weird awkwardness also when they have sex and then she realizes when they're having sex that he's got this horrible disease and that she's going to get it too and that's 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 scary and then there's that moment of awkwardness where rob is avoiding her and then are they aren't they and then of course they finally do get together and then there's this they have the love story and keith is actually even though it starts out with keith he eventually just becomes sort of like a tertiary character well maybe a secondary character who is secretly pining for for chris and of course he falls in with his tail girl but the tail girl doesn't really feel like 
a true love. In fact, when we first meet her, she feels more like a threat, a possible menace. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's not clear why they're really together other than that Keith has never been laid before. Chris and Rob, you kind of see that you kind of see the core of that relationship and you really feel a sense of loss when Rob is gone. And then afterwards, it creates even more of a dilemma for Chris. So like mm -hmm. she really is the one who kind of suffers throughout this book. Keith is just kind of like going through his his life. I will say that I, I don't understand why Chris was so hapless once Rob left. This is where Chris kind of lost. I, as much as I liked Chris, this is where she lost me. It was like, why doesn't she just go back to, to Keith's or to Rob's house? Once Rob goes, Rob is, goes missing because he's murdered. What does Chris think happened to Rob? Like, does she think he's just abandoned her? Does he think? She, does she think he's dead? Because the answer to that would change the way she, she would change her actions, right? If you think that he's been murdered, you want to know who did it, or you'd want to know why. If you think he just abandoned her, again, you'd want to know. You you go back to his house. You try to figure things out, and none of that happened. She basically just sits in the woods sobbing, and in a way that kind of robbed her of her agency. She has been this yeah. very. She's been this mm -hmm. character who kind of like is like I'm gonna make my own decisions. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna fuck this guy even though he's got a disease. You know, actually she didn't know that. I'm gonna fuck this guy because I want to. And then suddenly when Rob is gone, she's like, oh, I don't know the way out of the woods. I'm hapless. I'm I don't know. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and it's like that's not who she seemed to be. I mean, I totally get that she's grieving. Well, I'm I'm it's by going out into the woods, you kind of see this kind of her falling apart. She becomes dependent on Rob. She becomes. I think she loses her agency, not in the decisions to not do anything. She lost her agency the moment she went to the woods. Wait, she gave how, up. How? She ran away. But that's that's part of. How, why does that cost you your agency? It's kind of giving up, and she's completely dependent on this guy for everything she needs. She sits around all day, smoking and reading, waiting for her boyfriend to come back and take care of her. Yeah. And, make love to each other and so okay. I, and I, it's, it's, it, I don't think that was the intended consequence but it was an unintended consequence yeah that... I, I i reject i mean i i see what you're saying and i and i agree mm -hmm. that yes she does lose her agency i reject that that is a good decision that that yeah, is like I, true to her character because she has been a very strong person personality up to that but point. so but, but 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 so what i'm saying is that maybe the the disagreement is that she made the wrong decision. She shouldn't have gone to live in the woods because the moment she goes to live in the woods, she loses her power. Yeah, so I, I, I guess so, but I would like to see more reason why she would lose her power because her personality is such that if she goes to live in the woods, she'd figure shit out. Up, you know, up to that. So that was why it was sort of surprising to me that something she doesn't. And this isn't just wishful thinking. This is like everything we've seen from this from this character. She figures shit out. She knows what she wants. She finds a way to get it. And suddenly in the woods, she's robbed of that. And I don't understand why. Like what, you know, it's possible that there is something ha that happens to her psychologically that robs her of it. But, you know, you need to kind of signal that if your child burns. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, it was just sort of like, and suddenly she just relies on Rob. <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 no. She's actually, and even, and again, after that, she makes her own decisions. Oh shit, I'm in danger from Dave. I'm getting the hell out of here and I am moving. You know, she makes decisions. And when she's lost in the wood without Rob, she's a character who makes no decisions and that is so unlike her. So that was my issue. That's that's fair. I I do agree that 
I don't know if it becomes kind of like a frayed mess at the end, but it, it you know, we mentioned earlier, I was going to make a joke about the black hole cinematic universe, and you looked up and found out that David Lynch had been attached to this project. Finch, uh, kind uh, of, uh, Fincher. Sorry, David Fincher. It, the book just kind of goes off the deep end in a very weird way towards the end. And it's, I think it happens so fast. All of the kind of falling action just happens, happens, happens. And and then you're at the beach and you're floating in the water. The end. And it, it just was so rushed. Let's do mm. a bunch of crazy shit. Let's let's literally shake up this jar and then leave it. Yeah, that bothered me too. It did feel a little bit rushed. I'm also thinking about Keith's ending with Eliza, Lizard Girl. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a sort of like climax where she kind of tells him about the abuse she she suffered at that house. And then it kind of just ends with this moment of, you know, she's like, okay, I, I that's enough. Can we go? Can we go rest now? Mm-hmm. And to me, it's sort of the, the reason that was an anticlimax is because you know, kind of, you can kind of fill in the blanks earlier what happens to her that she is abused by these guys. Mm-hmm. And I guess her telling it to him is sort of like, well, what's how you know how are we supposed to take that? I mean, she hasn't really been a very secretive person. You know, she seems like she's pretty open about. Everything, you know, yeah. Everything. So it's not like, oh, and suddenly she kind of reveals herself. No, she's she's been sort of like that before, quite literally, in fact. <laughs> and so, like, there's it's when she kind of like says, "This is what happened." It's sort of like, well, that's not a surprise. I kind of saw that coming, and then it ends, and you're just like, okay. Or it doesn't really end. There are there are two epilogues that 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 kind of focus on Keith and Chris, but the main story there ends, and. You know, I'm sort of like, well, what what am I supposed to take from that? What is the what is the reaction I'm supposed to have? I don't think it's okay. But so yeah, so this is why what I mean by like the the threads sort of fraying at the end up to you know Rob getting killed. I feel like the book had been like going in a very definitive direction and was like in full control. And after that, the threads just sort of like fragmented, went in every direction and became a lot less potent along the way because a lot of the reasons the, the the reasons characters reacting the way they were reacting made less sense to me and it felt more like oh they're reacting this way because this is how charles burns wants them to react agreed and it's so it's kind of agenda driven versus story driven towards yeah, the end exactly which is you know i mean obviously that's sort of like the very end and it doesn't you know it doesn't detract from sort of like the dreamlike quality of the book. You know, this is, this is a book that is more than just plot and what happens to whom and when. This is a book that's very much about tone and, and, and sadness and kind of generating all of those emotions. And it also, and also kind of creeping you out a little bit. So, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't fault him too much for it. I, I just felt in a way like, he was trying to figure out how to end the fucking thing. And he's like, all right, here, here, here's how it, here's how it ends. <laughs> Which I there will I can, be there will be no black hole cinematic universe. I can I can relate to it, you know. Like, hey man, he spent ten years on this thing. I'm sure he's tired of it. Ten years? Wow. Ninety five to two thousand five. Yeah, that's that's it's a it, this was a long journey. And you know what? Kudos to to Charles Burns for putting this shit together because, like I said, like despite all of the shit I've been complaining about, this book left an impression when I first read it, and it continues to leave an impression. Like that's why we kind of came back to it because I'm like, hey, it's been a long time since I've read it, and I'm, I just remember the vibe 
that I had when I read it. it. It almost feels like a David Lynch movie because you remember maybe not the plot, but the feeling that that movie created in you. So, Roman, one thing I wanted to bring up about this book is that it was written in 1995, sort of during the AIDS crisis. And even though the, the book itself is, takes place in 1970, it's kind of impossible to overlook the, I guess, the allegorical elements, but especially given how the kids, once they get the venereal disease, are completely ostracized and forced to essentially live out in the woods. Ryan, why didn't you lead with that? That would have led to a completely different podcast discussion because now that you mention it, uh, I didn't see that reading it. But again, this is kind of like knowing when it was written. And yeah, you can't kind of can't unsee that. And you know what's interesting? It reminds me, we made we made the joke about the X-Men at the beginning, but the other popular teen comic at the time when the X-Men were getting hot in like the 70s and the 80s were the Teen Titans. And, you know, one of the first things I remember as a little kid, you know, when there was a lot of weird information going around about the AIDS epidemic in the 80s and the 90s, was I remember reading like a Teen Titans issue, a very special issue about AIDS and how you can get it. The reason I was thinking about it is because some of the some of the, I guess, the narrative decisions seemed mm -hmm. otherwise sort of inextricable. For instance, why are these kids, once they catch this disease, completely alone? Why are they treated like, you know, you outcasts. know like outcasts? Now, of course, there's the physical aspect of it, you know, for some think about it, that's a sci-fi. We're not talking about AIDS. They, they get superpowers. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, but but you know, and then you know when Chris gets it, her her mutation isn't very noticeable. Her skin comes off occasionally, and she has to kind of rip it off and throw but it. But her the same with her boyfriend, right? He's hiding it. Yeah, he, he's he's and, able to hide it. Exactly. Right, but at the same time, you know, they feel pressure to leave. They they can't live with their parents. They can't really be a part of the rest of society. They have to basically live out in the woods with a whole bunch of other people who are who who are like them. And we and, covered this as well. It's kind of explicitly mentioned. When Chris and the guy get together, he's like, there's something you need to know. And she's like, I don't care. And he's like, oh, OK. And then later on, when she finds out and she's like, why didn't you tell me? It's like, right. I thought you were cool with this. I mean, in swap out like weird uh, mutation deformity with uh, AIDS and it, it tracks. It really, really tracks. Yeah, the book doesn't explain, oh, this is how the disease is perceived and therefore they must they must flee and you know, the book doesn't really go out of its way to explain it. In fact, it doesn't explain it at all. And I kind of wonder if one of the reasons is this was written during the height of the AIDS crisis. And if you kind of see that as an allegory, it, the book doesn't really need to explain it versus, you know, seeing it today, it almost feels like, oh, it's a little bit strange that the kids are are so heavily ostracized. But then and again, choo maybe... and choosing to leave society. I mean, it's not just we're going to run away to the woods and camp out. It's we have to leave our parents and everything behind. We this is the deepest, darkest secret. We have to tell people we're moving to California, not that we're going to the woods. And I, I think that actually makes the, the, the ostracization feel even more salient because it's something that the kids are essentially forced to do. I was about to ask you, like, did you just kind of make this up and see it? Or is this kind of admitted by Charles Burns? But a quick Google for Black Hole Charles Burns AIDS, you know, yields again i don't know if these are just literary critics kind of seeing it kind of like we are now or if this was something very intentional because the book is set in the 70s it is pre-hiv kind of crisis in america but again the context in which it's written it's the same thing it's like oh i'm not really talking about it it makes me wonder now what else is hiding out there i i'm genuinely curious now because i don't know this is a late breaking development for me to kind of really interpret the book this way yeah you know i don't 
I would suspect that Burns was not trying to be didactic about it, or it's not like he had some statement to say about AIDS. But the fact that AIDS had so gripped the national consciousness when he was writing this book, and probably, you know, as he was thinking about this book, it, it probably it clearly sort of permeated into the way he told the story. Even if it, if it, you know, I. I I think it's overstated to say that this book is about AIDS, but definitely the anxiety. There was a, uh, I don't know if it was a Family Guy or some parody thing where there's a musical where they're making fun of the musical Rent and they redo one of the musical numbers and it's all about AIDS and it, it's quite. That's funny. uh, that's World Police. That's the yeah, Team America. Team World America. Police, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll link to that in the show notes. But I mean, in a way, there's there there are some similarities. <laughs> there right i mean the you you have this group of people who have been ostracized for various reasons not just because they have aids but actually do they all have aids in rent i've uh, maybe never seen i've never seen rent we, we should we should go it's been I, you know i saw it in high school so it's been it's it's been a long Again, time the time when things went completely over our head over your head right it's sort of like okay but it's part of the liberal agenda but again, it's it's this group of people who seek solace in each other and who have been outcast by society. And in a way, you kind of see sort of a much darker version of that in, in Black Hole, mostly because these kids are completely unequipped to deal with both each other and and the world. So, so Roman, would you recommend this to other people? I actually would, because I think it's this book. I was already reading independent comics prior to you and I meeting several years ago. But this book really opens your eyes to what can be done with kind of independent, freewheeling storytelling when you really want to push the medium and the bounds of what narrative storytelling can do. So, yeah, it would. It's not going to be what you expect from a comic book. Never mind that it's not about superheroes, but it's it's fucked up and it's real and it's raw and it and it's beautiful, but it hits a lot of notes that really make you think. And as we said earlier, it sticks with you. So if you really want to understand that this is what comics can be like black hole, Charles Burns is shit. You probably should be reading. Like if you, if you really want to understand the medium. So yeah, absolutely. I think, I think everyone needs to get over superhero comics and start reading shit like black hole for sure. Yeah, he's, 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 I mean, just, he's probably one of the most powerful creators I've ever read. And there's an uh, there's a trilogy of books that I confused as being in this kind of universe, but X'd out. And I'm not ready to do it anytime soon, but I wouldn't mind revisiting these kind of with the eye of all the weird shit and the numbness I have to this stuff now. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you can kind of see it for what it is. You really can kind of see the statement for what it is. Yeah, you can kind of you can kind of like once you kind of get over that initial emotional reaction, I think that's kind of why it's important to read it twice, right? You read it the first time, it's just like, whoa. It's and visceral, you read it the second yeah. time, yeah, you can actually engage with it at a different level. And I also think that's like a special talent. Very few creators have that, right? You know, most of the comics, most comics, most novels, most movies, you read it, you, you watch it, you read it the first time, whatever, you got everything. But Burns always kind of has these additional layers, where it you know it it always will affect you but affect you differently as as you read it and reread it and reread it and that again is is very rare in my